You're listening to DNA Info's Upper West Side podcast, which delves deeper into the lives and experiences of Upper West Siders. I'm Emily Frost. I'm talking with Upper West Sider and chef Bill Telepan, who's owned the West 69th Street restaurant Telepan for nearly 10 years. So, Bill, you opened the restaurant in 2005, uh-huh. and you wanted it to be a Cheers-style restaurant, <laughs> but but the high-end version of Cheers. Yeah. I- can you elaborate on we that? We do have a Norm, I guess, who occasionally hangs out at the bar. The, the idea behind the restaurant, there's a restaurant in Florence, Italy that I, I went to in, in 01, right before our daughter was born. My wife and I were in Italy. I was doing a bike trip in Tuscany. Cool. It's kind of this one of the mm-hmm. once in a lifetime event where, you know, I got asked to cook at it. It was kind of fun in Florence. So everybody told me about, you got to go to Cibreo, you got to go to Cibreo. So when I went to Cibreo, I walked in in a great mood, obviously, and I left happier. And the thing was, it, it wasn't the greatest, like, oh my God, this is like the, you know, the be all end all of food. Like once in a um, lifetime meal. Yeah, it was, it was just the whole setting, the, the, the food was terrific, the wine was great, the service was amazing, they were just really nice and friendly, knowledgeable. And I looked there and I said, you know, I want a restaurant like this. You know, you could just tell there was a lot of regulars in there. There was people. And have you been back since and, and kind of I measured have not. I have not. It? I have not. It's actually a good question because we, we have a 14-year-old now, and, we're, and one of the places she wants to go to is Italy. So we may, obviously, have to take her to Florence uh, to see the museums and stuff. Um, so we will have to eat there, of course. So yeah. without a doubt. I want to like to see it. But yeah, that was the idea. It was sort of mm-hmm. this, you know, I, you know, there's a six-month crowd who goes out to eat at all the new restaurants. I knew we were going to get a lot of attention. You know, we were on the You mean West. they come in the first six months? First six months, and you never see them again. Yeah. The six-monthers. And, and they, you know, now, back then, there was no Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So, you know, we'd totally been like, oh, I tell a pan restaurant right now, you know, type thing. Right, and, right. And, uh, and then they're gone, and they go to the other restaurants. And then, well, and then eventually, you sort of build your regular client base mm-hmm. and knowing that this is a residential area and knowing I fit the demographic as we were discussing before of uh, someone in their 40s who has a kid who likes to go out to eat um, and, and drink really well and but don't we can't really we don't want to take the $30 cab ride round trip to go to a place and spend a ton of money and then have to add the hour or so onto the babysitter and be so fate. far away and be so far away so we get those people we get a lot you know and, and there's you know, wonderful people live along Central Park West and all on the Upper West Side and Lincoln Center. Um, so we do have a regular clientele mm-hmm. clientele who come to the theater and come eat here with us, and we've gotten to know over the years. So yeah, I mean, I I've I've seen babies born or heard about babies being born. I've seen some people die. I, you know, we get to know people. You know, and and it's really what it's about for me. You know, I mean, I love cooking and all that, yeah. but I also love the whole getting to know people and and mm-hmm. and you know learning about them and and feeding them and making them happy. Locals are very important. It sounds like Lincoln Center is also important. Yes. Was that part of your decision to be on 69th Street? Yeah. I mean, I ran a restaurant called Ansonia back uh, in 96, 97, and it was on 76 between, it was on Columbus between 75th and 76th. And the thing about it was it felt like 72nd Street was the wall of where you could get Lincoln Center people. Because that restaurant, we wouldn't, we would barely do any business until 7 o'clock. And 7 o'clock hit, it filled up. And so Lincoln Center, you you know, I have a 120 seat restaurant that, you know, needs, you know, that you have to pay rent on. <laughs> right. And to get that first seating early is it was just a bonus. In the beginning, you know, there weren't a lot of options. We were packed pretty much every night. So, wow. but now it's, you know, you see a lot of places have opened up over there. I mean, there's probably been four 
4,000 seats plus that have opened in that area since we've opened, and which is good and, and bad, yeah. but you know, yeah. but it's, uh, the good thing is that, you know, I live in the neighborhood, as you know, and it's good because I don't have to go out to eat for <laughs> I don't want to always eat a Telpan, although the food's very good yeah. here. <laughs> so the Lincoln Center area has changed a lot, but how do you think the Upper West Side food and restaurant scene has changed Oh, uh, I mean, it's been great. I mean, we got a Momofuku, just, I live on 86 in Columbus, so we got a Momofuku milk bar on 87th in Columbus and then there's a bird bath now there's three of them on the Upper West Side there's one right by me there's a Joe Coffee by me I mean you know places like Mermaid Inn uh, Celeste you know been around I mean sad to see West go so there's always been some really great options um, and now we're seeing new places like you got a meatball shop you got this uh, what's it Crave just opened Crave Fish Bar just opened I'm looking to check out you know the biscuit place is kind of good for you know if I was 25 but you know they're big portions of food and you mean parm and not well there's parm and then parm you know i even think of parm i forgot about parm but you know and then and then in that time dovetail opened you know lincoln opened cafe lux has always been great so Mm -hmm. the options are danielle owns that corner i mean it's really a wonderful uh it's really wonderful you know the food so did you anticipate that when you opened in in i don't know i mean because when i opened ansonia um which was the name of the place on on columbus 76 Everyone was just like, oh, I remember getting like, people would be like, oh my God, it's pricey and, and I don't know how it'll work up there. And the reason it didn't work was because we tried, you know, the owners wanted it to be uh, a, a really nice, you know, sort of fancier restaurant than they usually did. But they wanted a cigar bar and be a late night place. There was no real identity. So, and that was my first chef job. So my head was like this and I was cooking what I wanted to cook and they were happy with that. So we got a really great review by Ruth Reichel in the Times, and we were packed. But the problem was is that, so you had this older crowd that was paying $60, $70 a head to have this great meal, and they were 10, 15 feet away from some 25-year-old kid, Wall Street kid, smoking a cigar. And so the 25-year-old kid didn't want to hang out with the older crowd, right. and the older crowd didn't want to have the smoke. So within many months, quickly we, we realized that nobody nobody wanted to come back because of it no matter how good the food was or or whatever so we tried to make some changes but again it was too late and and yeah. in the end uh, it was great for me because I got a lot of exposure because I remember at that time like in 98 I started looking to buy an apartment and uh and um uh, what was happening at the time uh, you could just tell that it was the demographics was changing because I just couldn't keep up with the way as fast as the, the apartments are going up yeah, so I couldn't yeah. really afford it. If I'd known then what I knew now I would have totally have jumped on it because my mortgage would be much smaller than it is now. <laughs> but anyway, so, but yeah, I mean I've seen the change in the people that came up here to live. I mean, people like me who had, you know, kids and it's a great place to raise kids. Um, you have to, I mean the reasons why we moved up here are the reasons why people move up here. I mean, it's, you have great subways, you have access to two parks, You've got Zay Bars and Barney Greengrass. I mean, what other reason do you need to live up here? So, <laughs> there you go. There you go. That sold me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so then you said you saw a shift. There were people like you, but then also. Yeah, I mean, you just saw a different. You know, you saw people who were interested in going out to eat and interested in food. I mean, you know, the Upper West Side was notorious for its cheapness, and and I don't know about that, but like cheap food, cheap takeout. 
and cheap Fast. clients. They didn't want to spend any money, apparently. Like, you would hear, like, oh, it's too expensive or whatever, you know? It's just like, oh, that's expensive, but, you know... Like, it... they'd pay for it in Midtown or Downtown, but not up here. Totally. It's yeah. like they didn't want to go out of their... Leave their house, walk to a place, and spend that kind of money as if they were leaving their Midtown job and spending money. I don't know. I mean, that's what everybody would mm -hmm. say is that they're cheap, they're cheap, mm -hmm. they're cheap. I saw that it wasn't really the problem up at Ansonia. I knew what the problem was up at Ansonia. It was the way we ran the, the restaurant. It was not... Too many things too, too many, many things, people. Too many people. Mm -hmm. and, and if uh, we had stuck to it, and that's why like, a, when, when I came here, I was like clear on, on, on what I wanted to do because it was, you know, it was several years later. I mean, it was about like almost ten, five, eight years later. And I knew it was shifting, but I, I was just like, and Tom had opened West in 01, and he had s some success, and he had he had built a regular great clientele base. And it's funny, because I called Tom before we opened, and I said, you know, I know you have a great regular cl uh, clientele base. He's like, I said, what do you do? How did you do it? And he just yeah. said to me, he was really, and we've been friends for years, and he just said, always keep tables open in the beginning for, for the locals. Make sure you do that. So book two-thirds of your room out because you're going to get a lot of people wanting to come there and then just that six leave. month or crowd yeah and said. just leave uh -huh. but leave leave some tables open and mm -hmm. we did and mm -hmm. we got to meet people and got to know people and 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 um and i was very present in the dining room and and you know shaking hands and all that and saying hi to people and um people would ask for me and and i got to know people and and we, you know, we're in the front of the house, a lot of the wait staff, you know, now you get a lot of people requesting certain waiters, which is great. That's oh. when you know, like, you got a lot of, you got some people coming who've been here before, and, and everybody's doing a That's good really job, nice. So, yeah. It sounds like you were a little apprehensive about opening a high-end restaurant, given the culture of No, I wasn't. I was not. No. I was not. I was you not ready. I was ready. I th well, I think Lincoln, the, the big reason was Lincoln Center. And we weren't that expensive. I mean, mm -hmm. we're not that expensive. I think we give a good value, even though, like, you know, the, the, the products we buy um, are the same as all the high-end, total high-end restaurants. Mm -hmm. I'm buying that stuff that Thomas Keller buys. I'm buying stuff that Danielle buys, 11 I'm buying all this stuff. You know, same thing, same people. Yeah. And it's not as expensive. You could come in here and get a $79 four-course menu, and now we're doing a $125 seven-course menu. That's off-the-menu stuff. It's, you know, it's not... It's pretty fair value. <laughs> now, I mean, there there have been a lot of stories and trend pieces that have come out about, like, actually, the Upper West Side does have food and restaurants. And what is your reaction when those come out? Well, I think the cool kids like to write about Brooklyn. Because all the cool kids can't afford to live up here. So mm -hmm. they, they only talk about the places they can go to, which is closer to their homes, which is Brooklyn and, mm -hmm. and, and downtown. And, um, and I think that... You know, I've talked about it for years. There, you can eat really well up here. You know, I did a piece for Serious Eats through two, three years ago about like, I mean, maybe two years ago, on like your favorite places to eat, and and you can eat very well up here. You know, I I, I mean, we have we have, if you count the Upper West Side as 60th Street or above, we have yeah. we have many Michelin stars. So we have the the high and low end, and we mm -hmm. have some good. I've been eating the same Chinese food for 30 years, and it's still delicious. So Where do you go? The Cottage on 77th and Amsterdam. They don't know. I give them so many plugs, man. I should be getting free food from them all the time. Listen to me. Yeah. Their scallion pancakes are the best in the city. Wow. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. I order that. I'm going to say, Bill said. Bill said yeah. sesame chicken. Do you think that the Upper West Side could become this destination for eating that you yeah. know maybe downtown yeah. or Tribeca is known as? Or? Yeah. Yeah, no. Easily. I mean, we don't have the... The thing we don't have a lot of is the sort of mid-priced, uh, kind of like what I was trying to do in um, in Tribeca with Telepan Local, mm -hmm. that sort of good 
chef-driven uh, quality, like sort of mid-priced place. We can go and eat pretty casually um, and not spend a lot of money, but really get great products. And and that would be a great thing. A couple, we'd be good to have a couple of things like that up here. And that's what we don't have. You know, for we maybe have, a younger crowd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the thing with Jacob's Pickles is that it it has that sort of. It's not chef-driven, but it has. It's about beer and and big food. So mm -hmm. it's fried chicken. It's you know, it's a lot of heavy food. Um, and you, I walk by there and, and like see like the plates on the on the and there's. I mean, the, I went there one. We went one night and got chicken and pancakes. And the pancakes were the size of hubcaps. I'm like. But you know, I'm like, how could you eat that? You know what I mean? How could you eat all that food? And and then when it's so cheap, I question quality. But anyway, it's decent. It's a decent place. Don't get me wrong. And they do bang. I mean, they do make they make a lot of money. But you know, whatever. <laughs> but we could use more places in that mid price range. Yeah. But food yeah, driven. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's a couple of decent wine bars that are run well, like Bin Seventy One Bar Bar Chibo on Broadway. Um, and uh, T Tangled Vine does a good job. Um, but, you know, we need that sort of idea where it's like, you know, like a, a mix of those, the ideas of the w sort of wine bar slash, but with really good, like the Rubens up here now. And they do a decent job. You know, they have, they those guys always do a, a quality job. So it, it's nice to have that place here. I always forget about that. I've eaten there once only, but, you know, I don't get out much. So. Yeah. Do you have any predictions for, you know, the next five years, food-wise, food restaurant-wise, up here? Well, you know, it's getting harder to open a restaurant up here. The rents mm -hmm. are super high. I mean, Parm, I know, the thing with Parm is that they, they're, it's like their fifth location or something like that. So they don't have a lot of overhead in terms of, you know, management. They already, they, they have, I'm sure, a central management office or something, a big white building at this point. And, um, and so they don't have the overhead, so they can afford the rents. Harry's Burritos, which is here for like 30 years, is gone, and now it's some high-end fashion place called Eero. I thought it was another sushi place opening up here. There's the rents are too high, and it's mm -hmm. it's harder and harder to. Um, but you're right; it is the places that have had other locations that, yeah. that have been opening, yeah. like Red Farm, yeah, Parm, Meatball yeah. Shop. I always forget about Red Farm, yeah, and they're packed all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's high-end cottage food. You know, so if you want to spend a lot of money, you go there. I mean, it's very right. good. Cottages will fill the need. Unless you want Pac-Man dumplings or something like that, which are tasty. <laughs> so you mentioned West. Were you surprised that they closed? Do you know why that happened? No, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, listen, they've been around for 14 years. I mean, you have to stay fresh, and, and, and I'm sure they've tried, and their rent, you know, their lease was up. And, you know, I'm going to, inevitably, my lease is going to be up soon, too. So mm -hmm. um, I'll have to figure that out. Is that Hopefully, coming in the next five years or so? Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, I think it come, ends up in, like, the, in 20. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we're working on figuring out what to do Around, around that. I'm young enough to uh, sort of want to keep doing it for a long time. I love it up here. I mean, yeah. I love this spot and I, this, you know, and I love the hood and, and I love what we're doing. So, and, and I think people appreciate it. I hope people appreciate it and, and we work very hard. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, you know, that's what happened. I mean, I, think it was, I don't think there's anything other than, you know, their rent went way up mm -hmm. too high and margins are slim and, and you just saw that unless, you know, they had some something you know the change to get more seats yeah. people in the seats then then they weren't going to make it so right. so you're anticipating 2020 are you going to try and negotiate ahead of that yeah 
<laughs> You're not going to wait until the last minute. No. Because <laughs> I can make plans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a planner. Hey, you have a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I have a daughter. Yeah. So, anyway, so. so Telepan uh, Local in mm-hmm. Tribeca, do you think something like that could work up here? Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then also, I think it would, what, if, what were the lessons you learned? If, if, it, it, if, for people who don't know, it, you had it, it opened... But yeah. it didn't stay open. We didn't very do long. it right. We didn't do it right, and we got nailed for it. You was know? it going to be a casual version of television? Yeah. Well, we were supposed to. I, the idea was originally it was going to be a casual pub, and then we decided to do tapas, and the whole tapas thing was we did it wrong. Okay. That's so maybe all. if it had been a gastro pub, would we'd still be there? Yeah. And or if I opened it up here, we'd still be there. Really? I just I just think yeah. the density of population on the Upper West Side would have saved, would have let it uh, overcome. The open, you know, the, mm-hmm. the things we did wrong, and because what we did was after we got reviewed and we got nailed in the review, um, we made some changes and it was going in the in a good direction. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of structural issues in the restaurant. We didn't have enough gas. There was a problem with that. The, you know, the landlord messed it up with us. Um, so we were operating on um, very little gas. I only had the big pizza oven and one other oven instead of the three ovens I had in there. Uh, we had an electric grill, ins- grill instead of the gas grill, which which just was mm-hmm. a nightmare to work with. We had no, I mean, it was just hard. So we, you know, after we opened, we had a menu that we wanted to do, and then we had to make some changes to adjust to it. Yeah, we just we just didn't do it right, and and so um, once I cleaned it up, um, and we were heading in the right direction, it just was too late. Right. So that's why I keep saying like the dent, because what happened was by the time we were at the point about cleaning it up. The summer hit, and it's a ghost town down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, it's a ghost town. Here, it's not so ghost towny. You know what I mean? I might, I do obviously less business because people do leave, but I think it would have been one of these things where we definitely we would have sustained enough business early on to keep get through that summer. Well, when the summer hit down there, it just really hurt. Oh yeah. my god! Oh, yeah. By the time we got to September, it was just like, yeah, and that's why we. Cl- I decided after. I didn't see the holidays being as lucrative as um, I anticipated, and I was just spending too much of my own money. You talked a little bit about the kind of Twitter, social media, yeah, yeah, foodie yeah. scene where everybody's a critic yeah. these days. So, what did that factor into opening a restaurant in two thousand five versus twenty? Um, well, 14. yeah, I mean, you knew there was going mean, even like now with here, you get Yelp and, and, and open table reviews and, and they're actually good. They're good tools. Open tables. I, I like using as uh, really watching because you know, the people came in, mm-hmm. you know, what they came in and they have to review it within a week or so. So if there is an issue and if you see a consistent issue, you can fix it. You know, like I'll read a Yelp review that will be posted today and they'll talk about something that hasn't been on the menu for like three years so i'm not really sure how that works just woke up one day and decided exactly or it's like you know they're it's like oh they're gonna you know they pick it this is the day they write reviews Mm -hmm. and they pick it like once a month they write a review and Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i mean unless there's a complete disaster on yelp we'll we'll go after it but open table reviews are, are good and um and the whole social media thing is a lot of fun, you know. So like having seen people posting, hey, you know, selfies of yourself and yeah. And <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it definitely um, you think about that because e- the thing is, everybody's taking a picture of something, you know, that mm-hmm. day. You know, they're they're you know like they're in your restaurant, they take a picture, it's on Instagram. 
why, even like sometimes while they're there, like sometimes they'll, like I'll check my Twitter feed during <laughs> the restaurant and I'm like, hey, just checked in a telepath. And you're like, and then you go out, you're like, oh shit, this person's on. You better make sure, let's go find out where they are <laughs> right. and just make sure because you know they're going to be posting. You know wow. what I mean? So, um, so you see a lot of phone cameras coming out. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, I'm like, you know, I'm like, eat it, please, it's getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with the lighting. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So does appearance, I mean, that obviously mattered to you before the advent of Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter that. of, like, you know, making sure they have a good time. So when they do write, it's not like, right. eh, there was, like, yeah. one time years ago where somebody wrote, yeah, the food was great, but the service was bad. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, everybody's a critic. So, you, I mean, so you have to, I mean, listen, Everybody was a critic before, but now they can write about it. So before it was, you know, you always were concerned that if somebody had a bad time, you just lost 10 new people. Mm. Where if somebody has a great time, you gain 10 more customers. So if they have a great time, they come to your restaurant, it was like, would you, oh yeah, they go out again, and they're like, I went to this place, Telepan, it was great, you should go. Whereas, you know, I went to Telepan, I had an awful time, don't go there, you know. And meanwhile, it's because, you know, it could be many factors on why they had a, a bad time. Yeah, none of it's my fault. None of it's our fault, though. <laughs> so maybe a Telepan local up here, or I'd love to do something like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What are your future plans at this moment? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Just make sure my kid gets to a good college and TBD. high school. And uh, well, she's old enough to be doing all the social media. Does she help? No, you? no, she's not no? on. She's okay. not on. She's not on. So that's not a good thing for fourteen-year-old mm-hmm. kids to be on. I believe there's no reason why. So she could take a picture of a frappuccino, <laughs> right? So or like you know, pitch selfies of her in a bathing suit or something. Sorry, yeah. You know she doesn't need it. So she checks mine to look at her friends. Ah. But there's no reason that works. why she still gets to be. I, yeah, but it's funny because there's there's a hashtag among her friends called you know Leah doesn't have Instagram. <laughs> so and I'm proud of that. I don't see a reason why a 14 year old kid should be on social media. Well, I wanted to talk to you about another passion of yours, which is wellness in the schools, really mm-hmm. related to your yes to your daughter. I mean, how yes. did you start that, and what's happening with that? Well, a lot. I mean, it's kind of like a, a full-time job at this point. Can you describe it to people? The elevator pitch is basically we go into public schools in New York City with a, mm-hmm. um, a cook that we hire, a culinary graduate, that we hire to uh, work alongside the cafeteria worker, mm-hmm. bringing a healthy lunch, learning, teaching them how to cook, um, also doing cooking classes in the in the classroom, and then we hire coaches to go into the recess yard to, to create this active recess and prevent bullying. So the kids get a healthy lunch and they have this active recess and they're ready for the second half of the day, a lot alert, asking questions, willing to learn. So. Our concept is thinking that kids will do better in school and there and also learn about food and nutrition and be able to take better care of themselves, do better in school. Uh, we work in a lot of high poverty schools and that's what we want to, although we originated in a couple uh, low poverty schools, one of which is PS87 where my daughter did go to school. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Nancy Easton, the executive director, the founder and now the executive director. I asked to see if they had a cookbook, they did, so I want to look through it. And I looked through the recipes and I picked a few that I just could um, make better. Yeah. I mean, the idea was that the food was so highly processed. And how do we get rid of it? You scratch cook. How do we scratch cook for 700 kids daily? Yeah. That's what I was work, worked on. So I did a couple of days. I did a vegetarian chili. I took those sandwiches. We made some more. We did a sandwich day. And then we did an enhanced salad bar. Because the salad bar at that point 
wasn't you know mm-hmm. that awesome. And then from there, I, we they were in two other schools, so I did them at the other schools. And the following year, they added five more schools, and we I ended up having like forty volunteers. And then I would just go to all the schools, create these dishes, and and create new ones, and do these cafe days and introducing them to. We at the end of the year, we had a monthly menu. So at that point, Nancy decided like, hey, why don't we do something like Teach for America? Grab these culinary graduates. So we went into almost 20 schools that year with our own menu, and we were allowed to do it. And it just built. We basically built 20% a year. So now we're in, in 2000, you know, uh, it's 15, 16 school year. We're in 75 schools in New York City, 40,000 kids in our program. And the thing about it is it takes, it's not something that's going to be an instant success. So, but what I see, it's, it t- changes the culture of the school. So everybody's, you know, everybody gets involved from the principal to the teachers to the mm-hmm. kids. By the, by the third year, they're, they're, you know, they're thinking about food. They're mm-hmm. interested in food. Uh, there was a cooking class that was happening and the teacher asked, you know, what's the benefits of olive oil? And everybody knew the answer. This is like a fourth grade class, the benefits of olive oil. And that's the great thing about it. We're going national with it, so we're working in uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami now. We may be in D.C., Trenton, Detroit. There's a lot going on. Are you on, flying so. around to all these places? Yeah, yeah I, ha- I mean, I haven't done the Trenton-Detroit uh, thing yet, but there's, when it gets to a point, I will, yeah. So we, we also bring in chefs like myself to partner with a restaurant. So Michael Anthony, Alex mm-hmm. Shelley, Jonathan Waxman had in the past. Oh, cool. And we ask those chefs to two or four times a year to go into a school and do these cafe days where you do tastings, you can do demos in the cafeteria, and it's wonderful. Be a part of the school. It's exciting for the yeah, the kids, kids love parents. it. I mean, they see us all come in with our whites on. They're I'm signing autographs for third grade girls and fourth grade. Girls. <laughs> we won't go into a school unless we have funding. So a lot of the high poverty schools cannot afford it because basically it's a hundred thousand dollars over three years. So we end up getting sponsorship that way. So yeah, so. will this be in every school in New York City? Do you think? The goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't goals. Even know. How do they do it? Hashtag goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no burgers. There's no chicken fingers. The fries are gone. That's and great. sometimes it pisses the kids off. But, you know, after a while, they get used to it. In a lot of these schools that we're in, like 75% of the kids in New York City are, are get free or reduced lunch. So a lot of these kids, are the best meal they, they can have. So right. why not give them the best possible healthy meal they can have? Because they might go home and, right. or their parents are gone working two jobs or something mm-hmm. like that or as a single parent there's no real real no real time to cook so how do you stay sane i mean you're running a full-time restaurant and exercise yeah. booze. really <laughs> <laughs> exercise in the morning wine at night <laughs> no i mean i love both of them and i you know that's the thing that keeps me going i love both of them. i love the restaurant i yeah. love doing this work with wellness in the schools it's important when i saw a fourth grader come out of the nurse's office after getting an insulin shot six years ago, that fucked me up. That was fucked up. And and nobody sees that. And nobody cares about these kids. And so, I mean, if kids are eating well and kids kids can think and learn, then they have the opportunity to get themselves mm-hmm. out of poverty and do better. Coming back, just to finish up, what do you think is coming for the neighborhood? I have no idea. Like, next five years, what do you think it will look like? I just hope it doesn't look like Or what do you hope it will look like? I just, you know, the thing is, we're losing a lot of, uh, you know, we're just losing a lot of the old places that Mm -hmm. are just being pushed out because of rent. Well, you talked Uh, about Zabar's and Barney Greengrass being two of your favorite reasons for living here. They'll be around for a while. I mean, I love Central Park. Mm -hmm. I love having access to Central Park. I love Riverside Park. I love the group that sort of 
takes care of the gardens there. It's great to ride a bike oh, there. Oh, the garden people. Yeah, and, and, and be there. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful, it's, you know, I love what Landmarks West does and, and how they can, they preserve the neighborhood. I mean, I'm very lucky because 69th Street is probably the prettiest block in New York, and, and there's a point when it snows, it looks mm-hmm. like a snow tunnel. There's a point when it's blooming, it looks like a flower tunnel. There's a part when it's green, it's green, and then in the winter when everything's, yeah. it's just gorgeous. You know, I just think it's a, the architecture up here is great. We've got some, you know, the Museum of Natural History was just awesome raising a kid. I mean, it's a great place to raise a kid because I have two giant backyards that I don't have to mow. <laughs> or mulch or, or mulch or do any rake like leaves. That. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's great. I mean, my daughter was basically sick of the Museum of Natural History by the age seven. I mean, there's the Children's Museum up here. There's a lot of great things. And you got, and it's, we have two subway lines, unlike, unlike the Upper East Side. <laughs> so it's right. easy to get to places and, uh, and, you know, yeah. So Upper Best Side? Upper Best Side, definitely. It's totally the best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking Pleasure. with me. We want to hear your thoughts on the Upper West Side food scene. You can contact me, Emily Frost, on Twitter at efrost1 or email me at efrost at dnainfo.com. You can also talk with your neighbors on Neighborhood Square at NeighborhoodSquare.com or on our Upper West Side Facebook page.